Thanks very much indeed, Kate. Let's keep that open, shall we, as we look at this little section of Matthew's Gospel this evening. We pray again, Heavenly Father, as we have just prayed as we were singing, that you will indeed open our hearts and reveal yourself, reveal Christ through your word. May we meet your living word and be transformed into his likeness. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, the new year faces us, as ever, with lots of choices, doesn't it? I don't know if you've been watching the social media or the papers, but you know, which diet, perhaps, have some of us started um, or started and stopped already as, as we got past Christmas and New Year? Do I avoid meat? Do I avoid carbs? Do I avoid diets altogether and just carry on as usual? Uh, or which Brexit will we be supporting as a nation or as individuals this year. That's a sensitive one, isn't it? You know, the current deal, or a whole new deal, or no deal. Uh, what choices we face. And the four Gospels, including Matthew, are historically the most reliable and ancient records we have of any historical figure from that world. Um, at least three of the Gospels, including Matthew, were almost certainly written well within 30 years of the events which they're describing, Jesus' death and resurrection particularly. Like the other Gospels, Matthew, one of the four, is not, though, writing history for its own sake. He's writing this to confront us with a choice. And it's actually a much more important choice when we read a Gospel, what we do with Jesus, than any of the choices I've just been describing. The decision about who this Jesus is, as Margaret was saying, and what it would mean to commit to him, to follow him, uh, affects everything. The course of our lives, our eternal destinies, it'll make the difference, the gospel writers are telling us, between being satisfied and being perpetually frustrated, uh, between being free in our hearts to live as we were meant to or being permanently enslaved, to be peaceful about now and about the future or always to be anxious and fearful. So it's not exaggerating to say that Matthew is presenting us with a life and death choice as he presents Jesus to us in his gospel. What will you and what will I do with Jesus? Now he takes 28 chapters to unpack that story of Jesus and he's writing for two critical reasons. One is just to give a record of King Jesus, of the King Jesus who comes through his birth as we've been hearing at Christmas in Matthew's Gospel, and his ministry, as we're going to see, his crucifixion and resurrection, to introduce his kingdom on earth and to equip and train and call us, to commission us, to share that mission, that message. He also writes, many think, his Gospel is like a manual, a coaching manual, for what it means to follow Jesus and to share the gospel ourselves. So it's a, it's a coaching book for disciples, for followers. A very practical book for us. Now again, it's a long gospel, 28 chapters. People have spotted that he structures those 28 chapters in quite a careful, methodical way. In particular, he's put five chunks of Jesus' teaching at sections through the whole gospel. Uh, You don't need to know or remember this, but it's just significant to notice. He's put these five sections, those columns there. uh, And we're going to move into the first section, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, in this series in a few weeks' time. We're looking at chapters 3 
to 7 of Matthew's Gospel this term. And we're just following on from Christmas. We looked at chapters 1 and 2, didn't we? The, um, the genealogy of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, and the wise men coming to worship him. We're now in chapter 3. We'll look at 3 and 4 the next few weeks. And then that first teaching section, 5 to 7. But all these five, as you see there, they're all about the kingdom. That's the big theme of this gospel, the kingdom of Jesus. And uh, each one interacts, connects with the, what you call the narrative, what Jesus did and, and said around that in the chapters in between them. So kingdom membership, that's really the big theme of the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 to 7. And if you want to know more about the other sections up there, then you know, do ask me or go and have a look, Google this, look it up in the commentary later. But the point of this is to say that Jesus' teaching is very important in Matthew's Gospel. His words matter, and this Gospel gives us more of his teaching than any of the others do in those five sections. People think maybe it's a, it's a parallel to the five books of the law in the Old Testament. Jesus is like a new Moses giving us God's will for our lives in a fresh way. And that's why, as we're going to look at later in this week at Prayer Focus, chapter 7, verse 29 is quite a key verse in this gospel where Jesus talks about the wise and foolish builders and he says, anyone who hears my words, that's those five sections of teaching, and puts them into practice is like a wise person who built their house on rock. So this is rock. And we're looking in, in a few weeks' time, chapters 5 to 7, that first section, that's going to be a chunk of rock, Jesus' words, for us to build our lives on. So with that kind of introduction, introduction and preamble, in this first section we're looking at tonight, chapter 3 and chapter 4, we're in the, the narrative, the story part of the Gospel, and tonight, as we've seen, it's all about John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus. And here is... Matthew's saying, Jesus the King, coming into earth, beginning his ministry, here's the kingdom of God breaking in. And we get to hear about it through Matthew. And the choice that that incoming kingdom confronts us with, you know, who is this guy? Is this the king? What does it mean to follow him? That choice is expressed for us in, I think, three ways in tonight's reading. So for the rest of this sermon, we're just going to look at those three ways in three sections. Uh, and the first one, and the last one, are probably the big two we'll look at. Here's the first one, the first ten verses. And the question Matthew asks us here is, what fruit are you producing? Through John the Baptist's ministry, what fruit are you producing? That's the question. John the Baptist is an extraordinary character. He appears in verse 1 very suddenly. Um, we haven't heard about him before in this gospel. Uh, he preaches out in the wilderness, the deserts out of Judea. Um, he calls people to repent. He warns of coming judgment, that the kingdom of heaven is about to come because the king is coming soon. And there will be a, a, a judgment, a wrath, the axe at the foot of the tree... Matthew says in verse 3 that he's doing this ministry to fulfill the words of Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 40, that someone one day come to preach in the wilderness, get ready, make the road straight. You know, if you know Norfolk, we have lots of roads that aren't very straight. And Isaiah was saying, someone will come so that when God comes to visit us, the way will be straight and ready. It'll be red carpet rolled out for the king. And here is John the Baptist, Matthew says, 
getting the road ready, getting our hearts ready for the king. He wears outrageous clothing. Uh, Don't see many today wearing camel's hair. It's not a famous label. Um, you know, his appearance makes like a, a 60s hippie look quite conformist, really, doesn't it? He's often pictured with kind of wild hair and camel's hair. And his diet, again, probably wouldn't sell that one to us either, um, an insect-based diet, locusts. Um, so, you know, if you're appointing someone to be your ambassador, your representative to the, let's say, for example, the European Union negotiating Brexit, you probably wouldn't appoint John the Baptist, would you? He's a wild figure. But here he is preparing the way for Jesus. And his ministry is about repentance. Warning of coming judgment and the need to get ready before that comes. Now people say repentance is is from the original meaning of the word simply a change of mind. It does include that. You know, like wishing that you hadn't, I don't know, voted a certain way in the past. But repentance is actually much more than just a change of mind. It is a change of mind leading to a change of life. That's what John is saying. He's saying repent, meaning, yes, confess your sins, admit the mistakes you've made, but actually also go in a new direction, live a new life. It's a change of mind leading to a change of life. That's repentance in the Bible and in John's ministry. So repent is, it's to turn from what I've done, but to show that I've turned by what I then do. So if you tell me afterwards, and I say, can I get you a drink? And you say, yeah, I'd like coffee, please. Um, I like it white with sugar. And I go off to the hatch, and I bring it back to you. And I hand you a black coffee unsweetened. And you go, thanks, but actually I did say white with sugar. And I go, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. And I go back to the hatch, and I come back again with another black coffee unsweetened. You'll be, I'm not repenting, am I, of my first mistake? I've said I was sorry, but I've not changed what I'm doing. That's not repentance. And John warns the the leaders, the religious leaders coming to him in verse 8, that their repentance, it's fake like that. It's not actually going into their lives at all. They come looking sorry, because they've realized that John's an important figure and he's worth coming to go through the motions of baptism with and let him wash their skin But he says, your hearts aren't being changed at all. You brood of vipers, he calls them. Bunch of snakes running from the fire that they know is coming. But actually, all they're doing is planning who the next person is they're going to bite. Their lives are not changing. He says that it's no good saying you are repenting if under your skin nothing's changing. You're just splashing water on you in baptism. A story about a man who was shouting at God one day, you know, if, if you're really there, tell me what to do with my life. And the, the voice came back to him, to his great surprise, I'd like you to clothe the poor, to work for justice, to be humble towards the weak. And the man had hoped for something a bit easier than all that, so he shouted about, well, I was only testing... And the voice came back again. Yeah, so was I. The test of repentance is in the fruit of the life that follows. The fruit shows, doesn't it? What the life inside is really like. That's a big theme in Matthew's Gospel. Bear fruit, says John. 
in keeping with repentance. He warns them also that it's no, no good having nothing inside your heart that's changing. It's also no good saying, oh, yeah, yeah, but we're descended from Abraham. We're from this important religious family. We're okay. We're children of God through Abraham. Again, in the original languages, the words for child and stone sound very similar. So Jesus puns on those two words, child and stone, in what he says back. He says, don't think you're children of Abraham. God can raise up children from these stones. He's just saying to them, isn't he, that neither religious ritual, baptism, nor heritage is any protection against the judgment that's coming. Only true repentance that leads to faith in Christ will save us. So that's the first question, isn't it? Simply, what fruit are you and I producing in our lives? Not because of our own efforts, but because of a heart that's been changed by the good news of Jesus, by the King, by the kingdom of God at work in us. What fruit? Is it the natural fruit that human life tragically always produces Um, along with the good things in our lives, pride, arrogance, self-seeking, self-reliance, self-pity? Or is it the Bible fruit, the good fruit of repentance, good works of love, of joy, of kindness, of generosity, of humility? That's how we know what the choice looks like, and if we've already made it, perhaps, by the fruit our life's producing. Here's the second question that this section of Matthew asks to help us really grasp that choice. This is a a, a briefer one. Which leader are you following? This is verse 11 and 12. Because here John changes subject from the message about repentance to the real mission he's come on. And it's not about him, is it? He says, it's all about Jesus, the one that's coming after me. The one that comes after me, the one that Isaiah said I would prepare the way for, which is the Lord God, actually, the Lord God, Jesus, he's greater than me. It's a funny thing here about I'm not worthy to carry or or tie or untie his sandal. There was a custom in the Old Testament that uh, that the, the person that wore the sandal, that put the sandal on, was the bridegroom. And it could be, therefore, Matthew's actually saying, or John the Baptist is saying, the bridegroom of God's people is coming. Jesus, God is coming as bridegroom to his beloved people, his bride. And I'm not that one. I'm not the one with the sandal on my foot. He's the one that's, forgive the pun, tying the knot. One day Jesus will marry his people as our bridegroom. And that's not me. Um, I'm the best man, if you like, or the usher, the, the bloke at the door showing the way in, but he's the bridegroom. Look at him instead. That's John's ministry. Look at Jesus. So I, I'm the best man, he's the bridegroom, or I guess for us today, um, I'm just Robin, and he's Batman. He's the one. And Jesus is greater in two big ways, says John. His baptism is greater than any I can offer you. I can just splash you with water. That's all I can do. Just as in a clergy today, all we can do is splash you with water. Bishops can do no more than that themselves. But Jesus, he says, well, he can baptize with the spirit and fire. And that probably means with the spirit that 
that purifies our hearts. I can only make your skin clean. He can give you a new heart. A greater baptism, but also he's a greater judge. All I'm doing, John says, I'm just telling you judgment's coming. I'm warning you, aren't I, to repent before it comes. Well, he actually is the judge. He's the one. His his winnowing fork's in his hand. One day he's going to come. And those that have turned to him in faith, he will rescue and gather to himself. Those who've lived a life of evil without repentance, he will send to the fire. Greater baptism, a greater judge. That's Jesus. And so John is saying, and Matthew is saying, and, and I am saying to you and me tonight, which leader are you following? Are you following Jesus yet? Or actually, underneath, are the things that really influence you... The people that you follow, are they actually just ordinary human beings like you and me? Like even John, great John the Baptist. He was only human. Who are you really following? Because we all follow someone, we all follow something. Um, I, I think of a student I know whose family are not yet believers. He became a Christian a couple of years ago in his youth group. And he's chosen to make Christ his Lord, even though his parents are, from what he tells me, baffled by what he's doing, by the life he's now living. And he is having to live against the values that his parents in some ways have raised him with. A great family, actually, as well. But that's the choice he's making to make Jesus Lord. I think of someone else from, the, from a Middle Eastern Muslim country who had to flee their country because uh, they had the choice. The ultimate choice of choosing Christ, following Christ or renouncing Christ in order to save their life. Only Jesus has that power, doesn't he, to to become our leader because he has a greater baptism. He changes our hearts with his spirit and because he will one day be judged, just as now he's king. So who are you following? That's our next big question. And if you're someone that's thinking, well, I thought I was following Jesus, but now I can see I'm not quite sure... Please keep reading Matthew's Gospel. Keep coming back Sunday evening. Why not come to the Discover Group that we're starting next month? Because we'll explore there. How do we really meet this Jesus and make him our king? So that's our first two questions. What fruit are our lives producing? Which leader are we following? Now here's our third one. Whose voice are you listening to? Whose voice? That's our last section, 13 to 17. Jesus appears, uh, and he comes to find John the Baptist. Very deliberate, very intentional, because he wants to be baptized by him. Uh, And John, if you noticed, objects to this. John says, hang on, um, you're the master, the king, your baptism is greater, shouldn't you be baptizing me? You're sinless, and I'm a sinner. I'm ordinary. And Jesus says, well, no, this fulfills all righteousness. It's part of the Father's purpose that I shall identify with my people even in baptism of repentance. John agrees, uh, and you can imagine Jesus comes down into the, into the river beside John, and as he comes down, and John starts, imagine his baptism ritual, and you know, says, I baptize you in a sign of repentance, and, and he can't finish because he sees something extraordinary happening. Something he's, he's, he's baptized dozens of hundreds of people before, but something new is happening. He, he sees this form coming 
from above, in, in the form of a dove, and resting upon Jesus. And he knows his Bible. He knows that back in the story of Genesis and creation, the Spirit of God hovered, brooded over the waters like a dove. And he sees the Spirit of God now brooding, hovering in new creation, new creation over Jesus, anointing the Son of God for the work of God. The Spirit fills Jesus with divine power as he begins his kingdom work. And then comes another extraordinary moment. The Father's voice speaks. It's like an echo of thunder. The other Gospels have God the Father speaking directly to Jesus at his baptism. But Matthew puts the words directly to us, as if to say, here's a voice you need to listen to. This is my son, verse 17, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is my son, whom I love. This is the voice to listen to, testifying to Jesus at his baptism. Those words don't come at random from God. They combine two prophecies, actually, from the Old Testament. I've put them up there on the screen for us. Um, Verse 17 refers to Psalm 2, verse 7, where... King David is is told of a day when God will appoint his son to rule over his people, to bless them, but also to judge those who oppose him. King and judge, you see. That's my son. And then Isaiah 42, verse 1, looks to the day that God will anoint his servant, not his son this time, but his servant with his spirit and take delight, be pleased by So here it is, baptism, both of these titles, the Son of God, the Servant of God, both these roles, um, anointed by the Spirit to serve God, but appointed by God as King and Judge, they all come together, united in Christ, in his baptism. This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Here is the Spirit, anointing the Servant for God's work. Here is the Son, appointed by the Father to rule and to judge his kingdom. So which voice are we listening to? Are we going to listen to the world's voice? The voice of uh, maybe staff at school, maybe parents, the voice of friends and family around us, colleagues at work, that says to us, that that God stuff, it's a load of rubbish. That says to us, uh, we don't need Jesus. He's nothing more than than just a nice, gentle teacher from the first century, irrelevant today. Or are we going to listen to the voice of the Father that says to us, over Jesus' head at his baptism, this is my son. You need to listen to him. He's come to rule over you, one day to judge you, but he's come also by the Spirit to serve you, to redeem you, to die for you. This is my son. Listen to these words, says Matthew. It's almost like you and I, I don't know if you've been to the panto, but you and I, we're like like Aladdin in the panto, aren't we? And Aladdin's there and he's he's got the lamp, the magic lamp, with the genie, um, but he's got Abanazza, the baddie, who's who's saying, Aladdin, Aladdin, give me the lamp and I'll I'll give you riches and honour forever. And we in the audience are going, no, don't listen to him, aren't we? And we're in the middle there, aren't we? And we we have the world's voices one side saying, uh, don't worry about Jesus, 
Live however you want. True freedom lies elsewhere. Happiness, fulfillment. You don't need God. And then we've got the father saying over the, over the head of Jesus' baptism, this is my son. True freedom in his kingdom and true redemption lie in following him. Which voice will you follow? That's the choice. And Matthew's given us already, we're just three chapters in, so many reasons to follow Jesus, hasn't he? He said, look, this is the royal line of Jesus going right back to Abraham in chapter 1. He said, look, this is the, the way that through prophecy and through a dream of Joseph, he's born of a virgin. He's shown us wise men from the east coming to worship this king. And now he's shown us John, great prophet John the Baptist, honoring Jesus and saying, I'm not the one, he comes after me. And now we've seen the Father, God himself, speaking over Jesus' head, this is my son. I wonder if you're here tonight and you haven't yet decided, deep down, who you really want to follow. I'd urge you to make that choice and to follow the choice that Matthew is urging you to make. Make Jesus your king. It may be that you need more time to think that through and to read it through, or it may just be that this is something that you've decided a while back, but it has gone a bit cold, if you're honest, hasn't it? Jesus seems distant, doesn't he? Well, if that's you, do get a copy of Matthew's Gospel. You may have a Bible at home, maybe on your phone, but if you want a small copy, just a stick in your, in your handbag or your, your book at work, why not get a Matthew's Gospel from us? They're just 50p. Um, and take it with you. 28 chapters. You can read this in four weeks, if a math is right, just a chapter a day. Why not get a Matthew's Gospel and keep reading it? And whoever you are, whoever I am tonight, as God's people together, isn't it extraordinary that the King has come and has been revealed to us in his Son, in God's Son, Jesus Christ, who's identified with us, sinful human beings in his baptism, and that he's made such promises to us that Matthew is going to keep unpacking in this book of his. A new kingdom to live for, a new mission to join in with, a new power to bear fruit in daily life, a new community of faith to belong to and love each other in, and a new hope that one day, in glory, we will be at that eternal banquet around the table of the king. Let's be still for a moment and let's pray in the quiet just for a few moments. Maybe that particular thing, particular verse or thought that struck you tonight from the Lord as we come before the king, ask him to show himself to us, to reign over us, to bless us with his life and freedom. I'm going to suggest that we join together in the words of the prayer that's on the top of the service sheet. So do just pick up your sheet as you're still for a moment and praying. And in a few seconds, we'll pray that prayer, beginning eternal Father, at the top of that page. <clears throat> so it may be that someone here tonight, for the very first time, you want to join with us in praying to Jesus as your King asking him to make all of us faithful in loving and following him. And maybe this is 
just cementing something we've prayed many times before. Whoever we are, let's join in this prayer together. Eternal Father, who at the baptism of Jesus revealed him to be your Son, anointing him with the Holy Spirit, grant to us who are born again by that same Spirit that we may be faithful to our calling as your adopted children. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who reigns with you in the unity of the Spirit, one God forever. Amen.